This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Joseph Anthony Kress. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, here we are. It's Lent. Specifically, I mean, yet more specifically, it's the first Sunday in Lent, or it's the Lexio Divina episode for the first Sunday of Lent. And um, maybe you're excited about Lent. Maybe you're not excited about Lent. What would be your your first response? Excited or not excited? I don't like Lent. No, I mean Advent's my favorite season. Okay. So right. like it's 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 hard for me to like put anything up against Advent. I mm-hmm. love Advent and Christmas. Big fan of Easter. Uh, Lent <laughs> is everything just but Lent. <laughs> yeah. Just listed everything. Ordinary but time just crushes. Ordinary you. time. Big love fan. Love that green. Time. That's yes, my favorite to a color. Also oh my into gosh, that. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, octave of Pentecost, like, <laughs> let's go. Um, but yeah, 40 days of just punishing yourself. Mm. Um, not, not a big fan of that. Okay. Um, but you know, it needs to happen. I recognize that out of anybody that needs Lent, I need it. Okay. So like, I, I embrace it. I don't enjoy it. Okay. Now this is a fascinating dynamic because you said something negative and Father Jacob Bertrand typically says something negative, regardless of what the thing is. Right. But he's also a contrarian, right. so he might be inclined <laughs> to say something positive. I hate when people say you're a contrarian because you can't say no, I'm not. But I actually <laughs> don't think I am. I just have strong opinions, and they happen to be true. And other people often have to happen to be mistaken. Oh uh, yeah. Oh um, right, right, right. But you know, my my what would I say? I think my life is a continual Lent. Nice. So it makes no difference to me. Nice, right? So I've heard that before in the rule of St. Benedict, and um, you being a good Benedictine Dominican, it doesn't surprise me that you would espouse such a position. Um, so I'm edified. No, I, I, we don't want to be flippant with the Lenten season in any way, shape, or form, but I think that all of us, when we approach it, unless it's our first Lent, or unless we are currently holding fistfuls of Sour Patch Kids and didn't give that up for Lent, we probably find it difficult in some way, shape, or form. Just because it's long, it's cold, it's dark. We have the experience in past lengths of failure or maybe like, you know, not the most successful success. And so it can be difficult during this season to confront our own Christian mediocrity. We were talking about this earlier too, like in our own priesthoods, uh, not this isn't like a seamless transition into priestly mediocrity, but um, there's an excitement in your first year or two or three of the priesthood, and then you sober up to the fact that it's a lot of work, and Lent brings that home with a kind of power and force, because there are more confessions, there are more masses, there are fasts and abstinences, there are people calling to ask whether or not their Sunday obligation is fulfilled by Ash Wednesday, <laughs> and things like that. So here we are, you know, getting into the 6th, 7th, 8th, whatever year of priesthood, um, past the honeymoon stage and into the long marriage. Um, I don't know, any thoughts, any surprises, anything that you didn't expect, and now here we are, enjoying or not enjoying, as it were, Father Jacob Bertrand? Um, I mean, so many things. Everything <laughs> has, has been a surprise. <laughs> oh, that's new. Um, what would I say? What would I say? I would say that the sort of um, level of, like, being on is a lot more than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in this assignment as, as a pastor, rather I was vocation director for a, still over half of my priesthood. There's vocation director. It's very much like an admin job. So you like go home at the end of the day, but like a pastor, like you get called you get like those sort of things. And there's a great joy in that and serving and stuff, yeah. but it is like, there isn't like a downtime or it's very hard to find those like, okay, I'm going to take like a, you know, my day off often turns not into a day off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's it's not like a bad thing, and it's not like a leave me alone thing. It's just like yeah. it is a thing, and um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of joy in, in serving and in serving in, in different capacities, people in the parish and beyond. Um, but that's been something to like to learn to live with in in good ways, but to learn to live with and adjust to and acclimate to. So um, yeah, that's something that comes to mind, I guess. Um, I, I think. Being in a college setting, like March is typically a very busy month because it's like that middle part of the semester where everybody wants to do things before uh, finals kick up or it's right after spring break and things like that. And it's really difficult because you're always in Lent in March. Uh, and this year, Easter is a little earlier, so it's right at the tail end of March. But you find that like March tends to be a very high octane month for just work that needs to be done. Uh, in, in pastoral care, but then Lent adds a whole nother layer on top of that. Um, I think what I have found is the first few years that I got through Holy Week, like at the end of Holy Week, I was just gassed. And I was like, just really kind of dreading because it took so much out of me. And there was a, a part of me, it was like, felt really kind of I was beating myself up as like, should I like be that upset and that exhausted at the end of this? Like I shouldn't be just happy and grateful that the Holy Week's just done and over with. Um, but after going through that for a number of years and learning to just like expect that kind of level of exhaustion, expect that level of just um, being uh, available in the needs of watching the conversion of hearts that take place just by the simple rhythm of the church's uh, liturgical calendar has been ever present each each year of my priesthood. So then once you got through that kind of shock of like, oh my goodness, like this is really brutal on you at the end of a holy week or at the end of Lent, and then being able to embrace that and watch that, like there are real conversions and the Lord works in mysterious ways in this period of the season, then you start to embrace that a little bit. It doesn't diminish the exhaustion. It doesn't diminish the kind of uh, just simple joy of being uh, through it all. Mm -hmm. But you are able to kind of have that kind of distance and say, well, I know that there's real conversions. Like I remember hearing confessions for eight and a half hours on a Wednesday and it was like, those were major conversions that we did nothing for except just sit and wait for the people of God to come back to him. And you can see the beauty in that through your exhaustion. So it's a, it's a weird place to be because you're very happy that it's done and over with. But at the same time, you have to be able to kind of step back and recognize the beauty and the, the grace that the Lord had through it all. Boom. I... I salute you in that. Um, <clears throat> it's it's funny. It's, it's kind of a sobering thought, but I didn't expect how, on the one hand, sad the priesthood is and happy the priesthood yeah. is. It's mm -hmm. just like the amplitude in both directions is more pronounced than I thought it would be. And I guess maybe that's just part of like getting older. People talk about, you know, you talk to your your parents or your grandparents, they're like, all my friends are dead. Like, everyone's dying. You know, it's just like life <laughs> is just grinding along, and here we are laid waste by the experience. But, um, yeah, I just didn't expect, like... You know, you, you talk about it in somewhat romantic, even exotic terms, like we get to accompany people through all these things. When you accompany people through all these things, it's just sad. Sometimes yep. it's just sad. And then sometimes it's really cool. It's really happy. But you get both of it. And yeah, there's something about the priesthood too, which just leaves you exposed to it. Just all of it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's something that we can think about <laughs> later or never or on a future episode. <laughs> but uh, regardless, we'll take it in stride. Okay. So we're delighted then to, uh, to meditate on the readings for this Sunday's liturgy. Let's go ahead and start with the collect. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, Almighty God, 
through the yearly observances of Holy Lent, that we may grow in understanding of the riches hidden in Christ, and by worthy conduct pursue their effects. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. All right, Father Jacob Bertrand, would you read the first reading? With great joy. Nice. A reading from the book of Genesis. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, See, I am now establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, all the birds and the various tame and wild beasts, uh, various tame and wild animals that were with you and came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all bodily creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. There shall not be another flood to devastate the earth. God added, This is the sign that I am giving for all ages to come of the covenant between me and you and every living creature with you. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will recall the covenant I have made between me and you and all living beings, so that the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all mortal beings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so here we have, at the beginning of, of Lent, a sort of reminder or recapitulation of God's covenant and ultimately of God's of God's love for us. And it's important, I think, that uh, to, to recall this and to keep this before before our what our mind's eye or before our hearts when we enter the season of Lent in a special way, because it's through these 40 days, as we were joking about earlier, you know, however difficult they might prove. And they're difficult in their length and in and you know perhaps the penances that we take up and these sort of things, but also difficult because Lent is a time for us to sort of enter into the desert of ourselves, to take an examination of of who we are and where we are in our relationship with the Lord, um, and to beg his mercy, to recognize that we're sinners and to beg his mercy. But this is all predicated on the reality of God's faithfulness to his covenant, that he loves us, that what we celebrate at the end of this Lenten season at Easter, the death and resurrection of his son, um, it, it holds true. You know, we're invited to share into that life. And it's only because of God's faithfulness to his covenant and his faithfulness to us that we are given sort of like the space or or the room in our lives to to lean into what needs to be healed. Otherwise, like you put up the defense wall super quickly because because why bother? So in when I read um when I read this and when I listen to God establishing as the permanence of his covenant, that stands out to me that that mm-hmm. everything that we do in our lives, and especially in this season of Lent and preparing and anticipating the resurrection, um, it's predicated on this covenant, God's actions, but also ours in that. So it kind of stands out. I don't know if it catches you in a similar way, if you're kind of like, what are you talking I would never preach about this reading in that way, but hey, that's that's what's in no, I, you you brought up a, a phrase. You said Lent's about going into the desert of ourselves. Um, I, I I have no problem about going into the desert of other people's lives, sure, but yeah. I like I'm terrified about going into my own desert. And that that phrase, as you said, like that's actually what we do in this Lent. And it's in that wilderness, it's in that desert that we actually encounter the Lord. Um, that goes back all the way to what was it Isaiah forty. Um, and, and thinking of, of Advent, that like that was a theme of Advent, like make straight the path of the Lord. It's very yeah. John the Baptist. And so thinking along those lines is like, okay, it's actually from that desert, from that wilderness, that that's where the Lord makes his covenants. That's where he, like his fidelity to the covenants is tested 
in the wilderness and in that desert. So this period of Lent is if I really appreciate how you said that is like, it's about this desert. It's about going into our own wilderness as a preparation for the Easter season. But it's not that we're, we're left in the, uh, in that wilderness or in our desert by ourselves to kind of stumble around. But that's actually where we find the Lord's covenants made. And that's where we find him, how he's faithful to those covenants. Yeah. The desert has like nothing, yeah. Like the frills and the facades of oh. like life and all that are stripped away. And there's kind of a, the barrenness of that also is like the barrenness of our lives. And it's true that like the covenant God's love works on real people, mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. the things that we set up to kind of block and make ourselves comfortable. So there's this beauty that's kind of scariness of the desert, but also this beauty, it's, yeah. it's real, you know, in that kind of way, it kind of stands out. Yeah. And I think too, well, often when the Lord expresses himself in terms of destruction or devastation, like we heard with respect to the covenant, you know, this is a covenant proffered after the flooding of the land, after the killing of many animals and people, um, and yet he promises not to do it again, and yet, uh, like within the midst of that promise, there's a recognition that there was a place for it precisely because from it comes life. And I think that in our own lives, you know, we have to confront this fact, like in entering the desert, we recognize it as a place of destruction, of devastation. It's a place that kills. I was reminded of this often in Switzerland. There was a a man in my community whose father worked on these aqueducts high up in the mountains in the region where he was from. And anytime I'd go hiking, he'd say, he'd always just say, be prudent. He said, the mountains kill, you know, but you could say something similar of the desert. You could say something simpler of the ocean. I mean, the desert kills, uh, but the reason for which we are called forth in the desert isn't such that we be destroyed or devastated, but that... Mm -hmm. Like we we experience life more richly, and in and in so doing, right, or in so pursuing the Lord, there are parts of our lives which are going to die. Um, some of which, you know, lamentably so. Like there are people in our lives who are going to pass before us, but in the midst of those experience, we're going to be called forth into life. And then there are going to be bad habits and rituals. There are going to be, you know, like weird attachments or maladaptive thinkings. All that's going to have to die, you know, and it's yeah. not going to be fun because it's going to be death. It's going to be devastation and destruction. And yet. We know that what lies in store is life, provided only that we can, you know, see our way through. Mm-hmm. So, with that, then we can pass on to the second reading. Well, Joseph, right. anything? A reading from the first letter of Saint Peter, beloved. Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he may lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. It is he. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the the building of the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism which saves you now. It is not a removal of dirt from the body but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Um, in, this, in this letter, um, the, the phrase that kind of stands out to me is like picking up on the flood. Once again, we're, uh, I love um, the preparatory seasons. I love Advent, and um, as we joked about earlier, I don't really like Lent, but the liturgical presentation of them is something I really do love because all three readings are harmonious with each other. And so you have the second reading that is picked specifically because it picks up on the theme of the first reading with the flood and, and all of that. But in this letter, we hear that that phrase that it, like, this prefigures baptism, which saves you. 
but it's not just a removal of dirt from the body. Like this isn't just like take Lent isn't this time to take us out behind the shed and hose us down, you know, so that we can go back in for dinner. This is a true cleansing of the interior. And that's only God can do that. You know, and so as we think about we do these exterior actions, we take on these penances, these prayers, these almsgivings that are very external. And as human beings, we need those types of things because we are body and soul. But we make this appeal to God, who is the only person that can remove the stain on the interior. And um, making sure that we have that clarity of understanding right out of the gate at the first week of Lent, that this isn't just about, you know, um, kind of polishing up the externals, but it's actually allowing the Lord to cleanse and purify and redeem both body and soul uh, in, in his entire person. So in his innocence, he took on our, our guilt in a very uh, radical and, and, and vicious way. But he also, in his gentleness and his mercy, he provides a remedy uh, for the interior of the soul. Uh, and that's presented for us in the very, out, right out of the gate this season. Yeah, I, so I love this passage for a variety of reasons, one of which is that it gives a kind of creedal statement and the creedal statement is the life of Christ. So when you think about the creeds that we profess, we will describe certain attributes of the Most High God in his Trinitarian life, and then we'll describe certain, um, you know, like deeds and sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We profess faith in those things because they mediate the revelation of God and the grace of God. And here Peter goes through his suffering, his death, his descent, you know, his he doesn't touch on his burial, but his descent, and then his resurrection, his ascension, his sitting at the right of power, and then his exercising judicial authority. So he covers, you know, the Paschal mystery in its entirety in the kind of grand or broad sweep thereof. And what's the point for which? Okay, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Like, this is how we get to God. We get to God mm-hmm. in Christ, so he mediates the divine life, and that divine life comes by way of Christ's human life, which mm-hmm. bears the divine life. And so when we think about our Lenten practices or we think about the various things upon which we've resolved or that we've, you know, like made efforts to improve upon, uh, it's ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's mediated by living contact with the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, you know, like you said, baptism, it's in the sacramental life, you know, like where we get that, where we touch that, where we lay hold of that. And so, yeah, like sometimes we envision our Christian lives as if they were a matter of like turning into ourselves thinking the right thoughts, you know, positing the right choices, and then hoping that that eventuates in a redeemed life. Whereas there's this kind of realism to what's set before us in this reading where it's like, no, just, just lay hold of the life of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, how do I lay hold of that? That sounds like poetry. It's like, no, just faith and sacraments. Just, just, just live the Christian life. Yeah. You don't have to improve upon it, right? You don't have to envision it. Otherwise, you, just, you can just do it, and that will, that will be enough and more than enough. Yeah, and the living of the sacraments thing comes to mind, or was sitting in my mind, mm-hmm. um, because if looking at the end, at the end being like Easter, you know, the end of the Lenten season, Easter, um, come quickly. Uh, we, what, what, is, what is unique about the liturgy at, at Easter Mass during the Easter season is that we renew our baptismal promises and that mm-hmm. uh, catechumens are baptized. So baptism yeah. is at the center of the resurrection of, of the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. Um, so we should have that in mind too as we're preparing, you know, to during these 40 days of Lent, during our procession towards Easter, that we are preparing to renew our baptismal promises, which doesn't, it's not baptism done again, it's a renewal Mm -hmm. of the promises we've made to live, but in that we're also preparing 
to be open to what the Lord is doing in virtue of our baptism, in virtue of us being cleansed from original sin, in virtue of being given sanctifying grace, of being given the life and the fullness of the virtues, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and to receive that, there's, you know, we we ought to take time to get ready for that, to, mm-hmm. to re-profess our baptismal promises. So it's a sort of summary, as, as you said, like a creedal summary of, of what the Lord is doing through yeah. the sacrament of baptism, through this water, through the flooding of his mercy into our lives. So um, it's a good reminder, too, of like, this is what we're aiming at. This is what we're going to. Well, that that image is, you know, talking about like, okay, Lent is the preparation for Easter, and the primary symbol at the Easter vigil is actually baptism. It's it's the water, and so you find yourself at the first week of Lent here, thinking about floods, thinking about water. Like, so the concept of like, where is this going? Why are what is all of this for? Is is just it smacks us in the face right at the very beginning that this is all about redemption yeah. through baptism and it's the the noahic covenant the flood um these creedal statements about it's actually it's all of this prefigures baptism of which we are making our preparations for so um the church in selecting these readings for us pl- places that very front and center on us is like yeah we're going to under undergo prayer fasting and almsgiving to renew our baptismal promises, to enter into that water again, and to watch our fellow brothers and sisters receive baptism for the first time, and that's that's what this first week about is like placing before us that destination, that goal, that it's about entering into the death of Christ and also entering into His resurrected life through the waters of baptism, and how that's prefigured um, in these readings as well. Boom. All right. With that, we can turn then to the gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so we know that the Gospel of Mark is often the briefest in its description of the various deeds and sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it tends to be the briefest with its formulation of parables or with its formulation of different teaching sequences. Sometimes you have an encounter which is detailed in greater length, like the encounter between our Lord and the woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. But in general, the Gospel of Mark is kind of breathless, Uh, in the sense that it proceeds from deed to deed, or it proceeds from action to action with a kind of haste signaled by the vocabulary and the grammar of the gospel itself. But you also get a sense of the thing for which our Lord is in haste, the reason for which our Lord is in haste, which is salvation. Um, So we talk about this with, you know, great frequency. But here we have, all right, the Lord has been baptized. You know, he's descended into the waters, he's come forth, the dove has descended, the proclamation of him as beloved son, and then immediately... He is driven into the wilderness in order to be tested. And the line, um, it's like St. Thomas in commenting on this particular passage in its parallel form in the Gospel of Matthew says, it's fitting that he be tempted, or it's fitting that he be driven into the desert, because having been clothed in sacred mystery with the baptism, he is then tested in virtue. So I think that sometimes in our Christian lives, we envision, all right, you've got like the mysteric things over here on the one hand and the moral things over here on the other. Like we talk about the liturgy, in somewhat exotic terms, 
and we describe it as like an encounter with the transcendent. But like, how does that actually translate to practice? Because we know plenty of people who are attached to beautiful liturgy who are not necessarily attached to the good treatment of the brothers and sisters. And here you see that the two are meant to be held together or that the two are just two sides of the same coin. Um, or that there's a profound unity which exists at the heart of the Christian mystery, which takes hold of both the mysteric and the moral. So basically, like, our Lord shows, you know, he himself cleanses the water, so it's not as if he is, like, baptized in the sense in which we Christians are baptized who come downstream of him. Uh, but he, you know, in cleansing the waters, he, he vests himself or clothes himself in sacred mystery, and then he shows the transformation that that works in our humanity. Mm-hmm. So when being tempted, you know, these temptations come up against his adamantine humanity, and they're laid waste because so thick is the grace, so rich are the virtues, so profound are the depths of the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in his life that, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil just don't stand a chance. And that is the cause of our own transformation. Like, as the mysteries are applied through his living of them, so the moral transformation is wrought in our, you know, kind of solidarity in his flesh. And so I think that, you know, again, we can be patient with ourselves and kind of merciful with our, you know, imperfect appropriation of the gospel, but trust that if you engage with sacred mysteries, right, that they will translate into moral transformation, provided that you look for that, you know, provided that you're attentive to that. Now, mind you, it's not going to require, again, that you, like, think about it at all time of every day because you're going to have to sleep, and sometimes you're distracted, and sometimes you just want to eat a cookie. Um, But regardless, right, this is what's promised ultimately, Mm -hmm. that we get Christ, and Christ in translating his life to ours, you know, registers in us as, as grace and virtue. Yeah, that getting Christ um, stands out. You know that that that's what's on offer. You know, to be given the Lord, um, sufficient enough, like more than sufficient, really. And I think something that was standing out in the gospel too was, um, and each time I hear this gospel, it's always kind of catches me is is the passivity of our Lord in these moments, or not the passivity in the sense of He's not in control, but allowing allowing divine providence to play out for a whole host of reasons. But, you know, it says, right, he's driven um, out into the desert and that he allows angels to minister to him. Like, he doesn't need either. Um, he can, he doesn't need either. He's God. But, and part of what he gives to us is sort of, is the reality of his of his humanity. And in that humanity um, is sort of access to him or, you know, he becomes accessible. This is why he becomes man, why he becomes incarnate, so that we might have ready access to him, not just in a visible kind of way. Oh, I could see the Lord, or if I were there, you know, you could hold him or swaddle him or whatever. Um, But even in the way in which he lives, Mm -hmm. he becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, his humanity is real. It's not a farce. It's not, it's not something that's just like a, a trick or like a show. Like he is true God and true man. And in that, he, he lives that out, united to us and all things but sin, of course, but also not just united in this life, but unites us to his resurrection, body and soul. You know, so there's this like fullness. Um, it, it shows to me, it reminds to me God's, God's again, with the covenant, right? That, that God, God loves fully. There's no holding back in mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. pursuit of us and his desire for us and the incarnation the, the two great mysteries of our faith, Christ, God becoming man, and then God dying and rising for us. It's like in everything in between and around just shows again and again and again God's great, great love for us. Yeah. Um, how, how did you phrase that? You said like the encountering the mysteries and then like the building. Clothed in mystery cl- clothed and in mystery. tested in virtue. All right. I, that's, that's such a beautiful like uh, way to engage in this um, gospel selection to see the Lord clothed in the mysteries, you know, 
And I think when we we think clothed in mysteries, we think the you know spectacular and and all this, but his clothing in that mystery is, and in many senses, the the humility to take on our humanity, like, and in that being tempted. That's what, this is uh, something I always refer back to when talking about, um, like in the confessional. I often hear people confessing their temptations. It's like your temptations are not sins. You know, our Lord was tempted. Our Lord never sinned, but just the pre- the uh, the presence of a temptation doesn't mean you are actively sinning. Um, but understanding that phrase, like clothed in the mysteries and tested in there virtue. it is tested in virtue Nailed love it. it i'm gonna get it at some point yeah, no rush but like if we can approach our temptations from that perspective mm-hmm. that is radical yeah, yeah like that i mean that is that gives you courage then to enter into the lenten season because it's going to be difficult you're going to have temptations to break the fast you're going to have temptations to hold back a little more money or whatever it is in your almsgiving but to be closed in those mysteries and to stand firm to stand fast and say yes i know these temptations are coming and maybe i will will pursue and actually go about this um this earthly pilgrimage and and take on the temptations as they come because i have this confidence that i'm clothed in these mysteries and i will be tested but i'll be also tested in in virtue and in grace and to not be afraid of that um so being disciples of the Lord Jesus is actually following him in this way, imitating him and seeing, seeing his earthly life, his life on this earth incarnate in our humanity, and then to take that as our responsibility as well and to be clothed in the mysteries and tested in virtue. See, I got it. Nailed it. I got yeah. it. No, and I think, too, um, when we experience difficulties in life, sometimes we find it hard to see meaning in them or purpose in them. But it's ultimately for intimacy, right? It's yeah, for yeah, yeah. a richer participation in the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by friendship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, you you do what your friend does. You imitate your friend's, you know, deeds and sufferings in this case as a way by which to share profoundly with him in his mystery. So if Christ clothes himself in mystery and is tested in virtue, that charts a path for us, not because we're Jesus, but because we're meant to be conformed yeah, to yeah, him, yeah, you know, exactly. by imitation of him. And we know that he wouldn't permit this to befall in our life unless he could make of it a kind of royal road mm-hmm. to that type of um, yeah transformation which lies in store. So it's like, yeah, we're meant to share in his mysteries, right? We're meant to follow in his footsteps, to live his incarnate life, or to have his story told anew in our own flesh, so that ultimately the grace and virtue, which are at work in our lives, but we're not wholly convinced of, right? Or um, we're not wholly confident in until Mm -hmm. such time as they're called forth by whatever circumstance, you know, whatever difficulty lies in store, because therein we can find, you know, an occasion of yet greater intimacy. So, all right, any final thoughts? Jesus is Lord. Blamo. Let's right. go. Jesus is Lord. If you weren't convinced as to that truth <laughs> up until now, perhaps you're better disposed. Uh, so thanks for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. If you would, follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, like and subscribe. Leave a five-star review or six-star review if such a thing is possible. If some of you are good at coding, then maybe you could code the program on the back end so as to accommodate six-star reviews, but only for our podcast to give us a competitive edge. Just kidding. But seriously, Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description and or show notes in the same description and or show notes. You'll find links for merchandise and for upcoming Godsplaining events at which we hope to meet you, to chat with you, 
uh, and to continue in, yeah, this, this friendship, this relationship that we've come to cultivate at a distance. All right, so know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Plan. Yeah.